Wow. No, I should be giving you a standing ovation and applauding you. Seriously, my heart is so full to be here with you. And uh, we've been here actually in your country for two weeks now. We've had some amazing times together with the different churches and believers that we've got to be with. We actually were in Peter Meritzburg with his people there and had a wonderful time with uh, one of your sister churches. And, and also we're you know, here in town working with a, a number of leaders from different churches. So it's been an amazing time. I have three uh, wonderful uh, interns with me. Actually, could you guys stand up? Um, this is Dustin Mena, Leslie Hernandez, and Anna Chan. And they've been just pouring into uh, is the saints in this place, just you know, praying, healing, and and all of them. I've worked with them for several years, and now closely as interns. Except Anna, Anna, Anna was going to be my intern, but she she ended up choosing a, a different option that uh, the Lord opened up for her in the UK. But she was able to join us for this trip, so we're so happy to be together. And then uh, uh, Leslie actually helps uh, oversee one of my organizations called Destiny Finder, which is a discovery tool for believers to help them understand who God made them to be and then become that. And then finally Dustin works with me on uh, he actually interfaces with the school of ministry that we teach at. So it's uh, called BSSM. It's based at Bethel Church and so that's one of my privileges I get to teach. There's 2,500 students there and I get to uh, actually be involved in teaching church leadership and planting and then a lot of Bible, which I love scripture. So anyways, just thank you guys for being here. They're going to be they will be available after the gathering to pray with you as the Lord leads. And so if you need prayer for anything, uh, particularly we, we really believe God's going to do some physical healing today. For those of you, we, we really feel like also God's going to give some prophetic words that are going to really release some of you into a greater step into your destiny. You know, God is just so... Um, you know, he's such a specific God. <laughs> he's such a God that, that loves uniqueness and, and distinction. And, you know, just look at the trees and the beautiful plants out here in your garden. You guys have a garden out in front of your church, which is wonderful. And, uh, and then just look around the room. I mean, check each other out for a minute. You guys are so amazing. You're so diverse and different. And yet Jesus knows you each by name. He loves you each so deeply and dearly. And he has such an amazing plan for each one of you and somehow in his massive heart he can he can keep straight every single person's name and uh, and every single person's journey because we all have a journey and uh, you know there's estimated maybe I don't know up to a couple of bill, uh, uh, billion <laughs> believers on the planet and he knows us all and even those who don't know him yet he knows them it's just an amazing God that we serve and so it's such a privilege to be here halfway around the world and meet kindred hearts. People that are loving Jesus and walking with them and to come into worship with you and experience his presence together. Wow. Heaven is going to be a wonderful place, you know. It's, it's, it's going to be an incredible experience. People from every tongue and tribe and nation gather together, singing together and worshiping together and fellowshipping together. Anyway, we are a blessed people. 
We are his people, and that's just such an awesome privilege that we have. Well, good. Well, you know, uh, let me just give you a quick little update on my story. Um, I was, I came to the Lord actually in my teenage years during a thing called the, the Jesus Movement Revival. So in the mid-70s, uh, I gave my life to Jesus in 1974. I was raised in San Francisco with no Christian upbringing. My parents were anti-Christian, revolutionary hippies. And so different kind of upbringing, but, but uh, the Lord met me in a powerful way while I was traveling around the United States. Different people were bold enough to share their faith with me, and it made a huge difference. Initially, I resisted, I fought, I argued, I had all my arguments down, and, but eventually the love broke through, and Jesus saved me. And, um, and my journey's been a pretty amazing one. I, I ended up actually on a, a Native American Indian reservation where I did my first stint of discipleship, uh, six months living with these American Indians, Blackfoot tribe, and they, uh, they uh, really anchored me in Jesus, but they also anchored me in the supernatural because they had come to the Lord through a personal visitation of Jesus. So they had actually seen Jesus face to face. They were in a bar drinking. The guy was just drinking, getting drunk, and uh, Jesus appeared in the bar. And there was 30 people in the bar who saw Jesus. And, um, and so I've heard testimony of other people that were there and saw this amazing vision. And uh, this couple came to the Lord and then, and then uh, they ministered for 40 years in healing and miracles and salvation. And then finally, at the, towards the end of their life, they were 75 when I met them, but they found this little hippie kid and led him to Christ as well and began to uh, minister. And, um, but, but through that time, I, you know, I, I, needed, I knew I needed training, so I went to another ministry that believed in the power of God, but they didn't see much of it. You know what I'm talking about there? Where they, they, they believed that the Holy Spirit could do amazing things, but their focus was so much on discipleship and growth that they had kind of forgotten about that side of things. Because sometimes that side of things can be a little messy. You know what I mean? And sometimes in our quest to be biblical, our quest to be sort of character-driven, uh, we tend to, to um, forsake some of the things that can be a little bit sketchy, and we, and we give ourselves to other things that are also very good. And I believe that actually both sides are very important, and that's why I love you guys, because I see you wedding the two together. <clears throat> like you're taking the things of, of the, the scripture, you're taking the things of, of character and development and strength and discipleship, you're taking things of mission and focus, and yet you're wedding them with the presence and power of God. And I think I even stole that from your, your vision statement up there. So, you know... <laughs> But I, I want to talk to you today about the Holy Spirit. And I want to talk to you today about the purpose of the presence and power of God. But I want to talk to you about it in a way that I believe integrates both. Because I have the privilege of coaching churches around the world. And I get to spend time with Christian leaders in different contexts. And a lot of my time is spent with people who are spending time investigating and exploring more of the presence and power of God. But sometimes they do so in a way that has walked away from maybe the more biblical or, or uh, you know, sort of discipleship-oriented aspects of kingdom. Yeah. And I have just grown over this last couple of years as I've been spending more time with these pastors in my appreciation for both sides. Yeah. 
You know, the scripture talks about that we would receive a spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of Him. You guys understand that? That there are both sides of the equation. That we need to be men and women of wisdom. And wisdom comes from knowing the truth and not just knowing it, but applying it in our lives. In other words, wisdom is applied knowledge. Okay, and so we know the scripture, and obviously you know that you can know the scripture without doing it. Jesus talked about that many times, right? He said, you know, be doers of the word. The person who does my word is the one who builds their house upon the solid rock, right? And when the floods come and the rains come, their, their, their lives stand strong. Because they're not just hearers only, but doers of the word. And I know I said this before, but just so you know how to pronounce my name, I'm a bro who's a doer of the word. So it's, it, I don't know, kind of a corny joke, but, but it works, you know. Unless you know French. And if, you, if you're from Congo, you know, you know French, you can say bro deux. But otherwise, a bro who's a doer will suffice. But anyway, so, so I've had so much fun in the Holy Spirit in my life. You know, I, I, I actually was in a very strong discipleship ministry when I was trained, and we saw a few signs and wonders. We saw, we had some few experiences, but then at a certain point in my life, I met a man named John Wimber, and I don't know if you've heard of him, but he was the founder of a movement called The Vineyard. And, um, and he was one of the forerunners of this Holy Spirit kind of revolution. Some people call it the third wave, but it was a release of God's presence and power to the church in a way that in empowered every member. You know, prior to Wimber, the, the only people that were really uh, healing the sick and doing miracles were the people with the funny hair on the stage. You know what I mean? And, and they usually talked interestingly or, or they yelled and screamed or whatever. But, but you know, they, it didn't feel like you and I could do it. You know, you and I were sort of like left in the, in the shadows, you know, and these guys are up on the stage and we all honored them and revered them and, and we should, you know, because people who are walking in their calling obviously deserve honor. But the fact that Wimber said, no, wait a minute, we all can play. You know, th this thing is for all of us, that we can all receive and walk in the presence and power of God and produce results. And so John Wimber was a pioneer in this area. Prior to his time, very few people were trained how to heal the sick, how to get words of knowledge or to listen to the voice voice of God. Wimber kind of helped to change that. He was a primary catalyst. Okay, so after walking with him, my wife and I began to walk in miracles. And we began to see tremendous things happen. We saw people who were tormented by evil spirits get set free. And again, if this is new to you and you've never heard about that, it is just one of the most beautiful things in the world because you know the power of fear. You know the power of, of anger. You know the power of lust. And you've seen those things that work. Sometimes those, those, those human problems are energized by demonic force. And those demonic forces can actually torment or hurt people. And Jesus felt, spent much of his ministry setting people free. Okay, but we've kind of lost that ability in, in certain seasons of the church, and, and God's bringing it back. Okay, but also physical healing, because, you know, there, many people have, have problems, and, you know, and, and, um, and obviously we have great doctors and, and medical, in, and, you know, people who have developed cures for diseases, and we're so grateful, and we believe that that's even a, an outworking of God's heart. Okay, that we would have great medicine, but sometimes even medicine is not enough. You know, we've had many seasons. In fact, there was this one, our most recent season of, of full-on renewal where we did uh, initially 73 straight nights of meetings. 
with no plan at all except to welcome God's presence. And, you know, we had a mic on the stage where anyone could pick it up and help direct the service. It was, it was chaotic, wonderful, you know, heavenly reality, okay. But, you know, we had, we had healings of the magnitude that one woman, for instance, who was a, a, a psychiatrist, she had both an MD and a psychological degree, but she was on her deathbed. And she came to our meeting with a walker and she could, she could barely make it to the seat that she sat in. But by the end of the meeting, she'd thrown away her walker and she was walking fine. And by the end of a week of coming to these meetings, she had been healed of several different cancers. And she you know, brought a note from her doctor saying, I can't explain what has happened. And she bought a, bought a box like this of her monthly medicines and she brought it as an offering and set it on the stage and uh, little did we know that there was morphine and oxycontin and you know all these very dangerous drugs that were sitting there on our stage for the next two months as we celebrated Jesus you know we've we've seen those kinds of healings you know my wife and I were driving home from a vacation with our kids and like like uh, Carol said we have seven children and for a season we even have my daughter and our granddaughter living with us because her husband left her and so she was back with us and so we had 10 people in our large 15 passenger commuter van we were driving on the freeway you know vacations when you have 10 children in the house really don't resemble vacations at all you know they're, they're, I mean you got to think of this we're preparing 30 meals a day you know so it's like really running a restaurant on our holiday and uh, but you know thankfully thankfully we, we did survive I'm still married to my wife 30, 35 years thank you Jesus barely made it but we're still here and uh, and all my kids my last child just moved out of the house so um, we are now officially empty nesters and so my wife is at home preparing our house for sale and we're hopefully going to downsize a bit so she can travel with me more but we're in a different season of life you know actually interesting I'll stop here for a moment I felt while we were worshiping that um, you know we were talking about majesty singing majesty such a beautiful song and I just I just felt like I saw a rubber band being stretched and it was being stretched you know and, and they start out very fat but as you stretch them they get thinner and thinner and I felt like the Lord is just saying that there's a few of you who are feeling that right now you're like a rubber band that's been stretched pretty hard pretty far and just with work and with children and with life and you know all of the the obligations and I just wanted to if that's you could you just slip up your hand for a moment if you just need a little bit of prayer right now because because we're stretching you know <laughs> yeah no not everybody put your <laughs> okay but but if, if somebody next to you put their hand up would you just you know put a hand on their shoulder for a moment I just want to pray about this it was something really in my heart and uh, and 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 again you know I don't think that I don't think the Lord's going to have you do less but I think he's going to give you more grace. Okay. So Father, in the name of Jesus, just every person who responds to that sense, uh, like um, Bilbo Baggins said, I feel like too little butter over too much bread. Lord, that you right now would touch them, Lord, and that you would release your grace. Lord, we know that we live in a busy world, a hectic world, an intense world, Lord, but we don't have to be stretched. Lord, the Lord says, take my yoke upon you and learn of me. For I am meek and lowly, and you will find rest for your soul. Lord, let there be rest. Let there be peace. Let there be grace. Let there be a release of that stretching, 
of that tension right now. And Father, I pray for more grace to flood each heart. We can do all things through Christ Jesus who strengthens us. Amen. So I do have pity on you. I once had seven children. I once was stretched. No, just kidding. I'm still stretched and stretching more. But anyway, so my wife and I were returning from vacation. And uh, all of a sudden, right in front of us on the freeway, uh, as we were entering the Bay Area, a car ended up... going sideways, smashing into the center divider and spinning and then kind of careening towards a cliff on the other side. And a woman flew out of the driver's seat and landed on the tarmac on the tar and, and the car just went right over the edge. And we were the first car on the scene. So we pull up our van and we turn sideways like this and we block all the traffic. Because there are many cars going 70, 80 miles an hour down the freeway. And we got to this woman, and here she is. Her face is torn open. And she has no pulse. She's dead. And she reeks of alcohol. And she obviously, you know, didn't look like a... She really had her salvation issues in order. Okay. And uh, my wife and I are the first ones there. We're, we're kneeling over her. And we take her pulse. There's no pulse. She's not breathing. We just say, God, this is not what's supposed to happen for this woman's life right here. And so we just began to declare life over her. And all of a sudden, the flap in her in her face began to... Because, you know, your sinuses are all the way through. So instead of breathing through her mouth, she was breathing through this this tear in her face. But she began to actually have a pulse. She began to breathe again. And all of a sudden, other cars began to stop and people began to gather around. And then a helicopter, within about 20 minutes, the helicopter landed. And this woman was taken to the... I wasn't able to follow up because there's restrictions in terms of privacy issues. Uh, but, But they did say that she lived. And we trust. But again, the Holy Spirit's at work. I mean, we're not super Christians. But, but we're just believers who showed up in a, in a dire situation and God used us to actually help somebody who would have maybe otherwise not made it into the presence of God. But now she has a chance because the Holy Spirit was here to do something. Yeah. You know, we, we've had, um, actually in our church at one point, we had extended meetings. I don't know if you guys have ever done that. It can be crazy. It can be fun. It can be, but right at the, in 1994, there was an outpouring of the Holy Spirit in a place called Toronto. And it, you know, some of that went a little crazy, but, but much of it was really, really awesome and good. And my wife and I at that time, we were so hungry for God because we had gone through a great wave of Holy Spirit work, but, but we just wanted more. And so we went up there and probably within the first couple of weeks, they had a room half the size of this. But they eventually touched about three and a half million people. Among those was a woman named Heidi Baker who's planted now 14,000 churches or something. They've seen over 400 raisings of the dead. You know, it's like, I mean, God just used this one, I mean, just in that one instance, another man named Leif Hetlin who's gone into the Middle East and led hundreds of thousands of Muslims to Christ. You know, we're, we're talking about a massive outpouring. Well, we were one of the first leaders there and we were one of the first groups that began nightly meetings in response and um, we had a meeting hall of about 1200 at the time in San Francisco and we just were so in love with God's presence touching people we had like this one thing that was just it wasn't the most dramatic healing we saw or the most dramatic miracle but we had little children 
who were from, we were in the sort of the, 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 the troubled area of San Francisco. And so about two blocks away was the Skid Row of San Francisco, 6th Street. And, um, and we had a ministry there among the, the children of prostitutes and drug addicts. And so we'd do an after-school program. We'd work with them. But our leader there began to invite them to the meetings. And we had these kids who were dirty. They didn't have holes in their shoes. They were broken, poor individuals. These kids that were, you know, barely could make it through school, but they would come and get touched by the presence of God. They'd fall under the power of God. And they wouldn't get up right away. They'd lay there for a half an hour, 45 minutes, an hour, with tears going down their faces as they're having revelations of Jesus you know it's just such a beautiful thing of course there's some crazy stuff too you know there's I had two pastors on staff and they were literally as opposite as they could be one of them was about five foot two and he weighed under a hundred pounds he he was going after his doctorate in human spirituality and uh, he was like a brainiac he was a you know a geek but he's this little tiny guy and uh, but brilliant okay then this other pastor that I had was about six foot three and he was probably uh, ten hands at the shoulder you know or he was big you know he probably weighed, weighed maybe uh, what would it be in, in kilos maybe 150 kilos okay I'm not joking that's very heavy no this guy was packing it he had he, he was ample let's put it that way and uh, and so and so it was really wonderful because you know they both like this guy was from a Presbyterian background. So when he got filled with the Holy Spirit, he was very excited. So he was praying for everybody he could. So one night I, I watched from across the hall while he's praying for this woman who also probably weighs about 125 kilos. And so he's praying for her and she starts to go like this, you know, starting to rock, you know, just kind of, you could tell the Holy Spirit's touching her in a beautiful way. So this big guy's praying for a big woman. And, and, and my pastor, who's very tiny, decides to go and help. <laughs> so... <laughs> So if you can imagine this picture, like I'm across the room and she starts to rock like this and she starts to fall and all of a sudden it's like in slow motion I start to run because this, there's no way in this world this little pastor is going to catch this massive woman, you know, and I'm running, ah, you know, like in the movies and, and all of a sudden she starts to fall and he looks and like at me and goes, ah, and, uh, and, and he doesn't know how to, he can't, he doesn't have the strength to catch her. So he somehow grabs a hold of her shirt and pulls her shirt up over her head. So she's laying on the floor and her arms are trapped and her her belly's showing. And it's like, where's the prayer cloth? Quick, you know, let's cover her up. You know, crazy things happen. Yeah. <laughs> but the point of my message, <laughs> if, I, if I ever get to it, <laughs> is that the Holy Spirit was given for a reason. And it really probably isn't predominantly that people would fall down. And it's not predominantly, I don't think, that people might shake or have, you know... The Holy Spirit was given for a reason. In fact, Jesus made such a point of this before he went away. He said something very amazing. He said, you know what? It is better for you that I go away. What? It's better? In other words, can you imagine something better than walking with Jesus? God the Son. Do you guys realize who Jesus is? It says that... In the beginning was the Word. The Word was with God. The Word was God. All things were made by Him. There was not anything made on this earth that was not made by Him. And then a few verses later it says, And the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. 
and we beheld his glory as of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. I mean, we're talking about God, the Son, manifested in human form. And then he says to us, it's better for you (laughs) that I go away. And he said, well, how could that possibly be? He said, because if I go away, the Holy Spirit will be sent to you. And instead of one person, you know, one localized individual, the presence of God will come and fill every individual. You shall receive power after the Holy Spirit has come upon you, Jesus said. And you shall be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the uttermost parts of the world. And when Jesus actually began his ministry, he quoted a particular passage out of Isaiah. And that's what I want to go to right now. If you can open your Bibles to the book of Isaiah chapter 61 and look there with me for just a moment because, you know, this is going to be a very quick teaching from here on out. But I want to give you this amazing amazing passage that Jesus himself quoted when he began his ministry in Nazareth. He, he opened the scroll and he read these words. And when he read these words, he was clearly making an emphatic statement to the people that he was leading. Because when he quoted Isaiah 61, there was no mistaking the fact that he was claiming to be the one who was promised. From the very Garden of Eden, the one that had been promised to come, who had actually set all things right, that would break the power of evil and pain and and disease and poverty and greed and sin upon our world. He would come and begin a restoration process that would actually restore all things under the loving dominion of Creator God, our Heavenly Father, that His purpose was to bring all that to pass. It had been prophesied again and again and again throughout Scripture. And then ultimately Jesus comes and makes this declaration that was unmistakable when he quotes this passage of scripture in Isaiah 61, if I can ever get there. That's the hardest part about preaching is turning in your Bible while you're still keeping the ball rolling. So you guys can have a little mercy on me for that, okay? But here he says in chapter 61, The Spirit of the Lord God is upon me because He has anointed me to preach good tidings to the poor. He has sent me to heal the brokenhearted. He has to proclaim the liberty to the captives and the opening of prison to those that are bound. To proclaim the acceptable year of the Lord and the day of vengeance of our God. To comfort all who mourn and to console those who mourn in Zion and to give them beauty for ashes and the oil of joy for mourning and the garment of praise for the spirit of heaviness that they may be called trees of righteousness, the planting of the Lord, that he may be glorified, and they shall rebuild the old ruins. They shall raise up the former desolations. They shall repair the ruined cities and the desolations of many generations. This is the very passage that Jesus chose to quote when he began his ministry. Now he stopped about midway, but I'm reading the whole thing because I believe that each part is important. See, I believe that the Holy Spirit was upon Jesus for three specific reasons. And I believe that the Holy Spirit is within you and I for those same three reasons. Okay? You know what those reasons are? In verse 1, it's for souls. In verse 2, it's for saints. And in verse 4, it's for spheres. 
Can you say that with me? Souls, saints, and spheres. The Spirit of the Lord God is upon me for souls, saints, and spheres. That God has a purpose. God has an agenda. He's a playful God. He loves to hang out with us. He loves to kill time with us. But He also has an agenda. Jesus came for a reason. To seek and save that which was lost. To proclaim the kingdom of heaven. And to bring all things that were broken. And mend them under the loving care of God. That Jesus has a a, a purpose. He has a plan. And He's invited you and I to be part of that amazing plan. And to be partners with Him in this process. Of restoring all things to the original intent that they were created for. You and I get to be part of this. You have a purpose. You have a destiny. You are uniquely chosen by God to do certain things that no one else can do. And each thing that you do is part of this larger picture of what God wants to do for the whole world. Which is to rid the world of corruption and brokenness and pain and poverty and disease and difficulty. That ultimately that which is true of heaven would actually become true on earth. That the heaven would come. That the kingdom would come. His will would be done on earth as it is in heaven. So the Spirit of God has come among us. Now, unless you, you know, maybe mistake this, the Spirit of God is not a force. Like the force be with you, you know. I mean, I, I, I really appreciated the most recent version of Star, Star Wars. But the theology stinks. Okay. Because there's not a good side of the force and a bad side of the force. Let me just be clear about this. Okay. We can, you know, enjoy the movie for what it is, but it's certainly not a theological Bible study. Because there is a good God. And there are certain forces of evil, but in no way do they compare to the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. In no way do they compare to the saints of God who are filled with the Holy Spirit. Okay, so let's just break this down for a moment and look at these three aspects and then we're going to wrap it up with some prayer. The first thing he says is the Spirit of the Lord God is upon me because he has anointed me. That word anointing is the word from which we draw the word Messiah. It's the word Mashiach. It actually means to take oil and smear somebody. And that's how they ordained kings in their day. As they would take a big vat of oil, they pour it over somebody. The Spirit of the living God is upon me, Jesus is saying. And this is an interesting thing because I believe Jesus becomes our model, our prototype for ministry because I believe that even though he was God in the flesh, that according to Philippians chapter 2, that it says he emptied himself and took on the form of a servant. I believe that Jesus chose to function on the earth, not as God in the flesh, but rather as a man filled with the Holy Spirit so he might be a prototype of a new creation that you and I would have have a model to follow that as the Holy Spirit comes upon us we could actually imitate Jesus in his fullness rather than excusing ourselves from our obligation by saying oh that was just God of course God healed the sick of course God raised the dead of course God proclaimed the gospel see now we can say no God became flesh and dwelt among us and modeled to us how we can live as sons and daughters of the living God it's a beautiful beautiful salvation that we've come into okay the more we unpack it the more amazing it becomes okay but here's what he anointed us for first is for souls to preach good tidings to the poor now that word poor is an interesting word because it isn't necessarily the impoverished it's the oppressed poor It's those who have been poor by virtue of power being abused. 
And the specific reference here is not even to earthly power, I don't believe, but to demonic power. You know, if you study your scripture, you'll realize that there, at once upon a time, there was a rebellion in heaven. And a third of the angels turned against God, thinking they could do a better job, that they had a better plan. And they infected the earth with that rebellion. And that's why there's so much pain and so much suffering is because humanity chose to align themselves with darkness rather than light. And so we have a broken world, but you and I are the children of light. We're the solution to that problem. So we are here to proclaim this good news. A good news about what? about the kingdom of heaven. A good news about a loving God who cares so much that he sent his son. The good news about a a God who, when his son died for our sins and took away the penalty and power of sin, that he sent the Holy Spirit to dwell, not just among us, but within us, to empower us to live lives of holiness, lives of dedication, lives of servitude and sacrifice, lives of supernatural power. Awesome, huh? Wow. I didn't realize it was so good. You know, it's like, this is amazing. Okay, but the real intent here is that we would actually be agents of liberation. We've been set free, and now we join the liberation army to set others free. That this is who we are. And so God has empowered us with supernatural ability, words of knowledge, words of wisdom. He's empowered us with gifts of healing so that we can go out and touch lives and, and demonstrate, not just declare, but demonstrate. Although the declaration is important. We don't want to ever fail to declare the beauty of Jesus with our words. But we also want to demonstrate the beauty of Jesus with our actions. And that's supernatural actions of healing, but it's also natural actions of love and care and justice. Amen? So it's really essential for us when Jesus is talking about this. Because the Lord has anointed me to preach good tidings, good news to the poor, He sent me to heal the brokenhearted. You know, most people in this world are sinning not because they want to be evil. They're sinning because they have kingdom longings they don't know how to address. And they're finding broken ways of addressing their pain. And so it's addiction or it's abuse or it's greed or because greed is motivated by fear and insecurity. Like most of the brokenness in this world is not somebody who said, woke up in the morning and said, I'm going to be evil and hurt people. I mean, maybe a few. But the issue here is that, is that there's broken hearted people doing broken hearted things to one another and to themselves out of a a, a pain in their lives to proclaim liberty to the captives recovery, uh, actually the opening of prison doors to those who are bound I want you to notice that in this process there's not very much mention of sin at all not that sin's not an issue sin is a very, very big issue in humanity but it's not the primary lens through which God sees us He sees us as broken. He sees us as oppressed. He sees us as hurting. He sees us as captives. And that's very important. So when you get to the next verse, which says, to proclaim the year of God's acceptance and the day of vengeance of our God, I used to always think that vengeance was towards humanity. Like, I'm going to show those people, you know, if they reject me and they decide to sin, I'm going to smack them up. You know, it's like, no. I believe that the true vengeance of God is against the forces of evil that have seduced humanity into rebellion. It's not anger against humanity. Although certainly we are, the scripture says, children of wrath. But it's anger against the forces that we have aligned ourselves with. 
So this liberation that we've been called to, souls, that's one of the primary purposes of the Holy Spirit being upon us, is to deliver this message with words and works to set people free from their bondage and deliver them into the kingdom of God. Amen? Let's go to the next one, which begins in verse... uh, Three, it says to console those who mourn in Zion. You know, when it says Zion, he's talking about the believers. He's talking about those who have already aligned themselves with God. So to Zion. You guys get it? And so he's talking to the saints here. The first one was souls. The second one, saints. And he's saying to the saints to give them beauty for ashes and the oil of joy for mourning, the garment of praise for the spirit of heaviness, that we might be trees of righteousness, the planting of the Lord. God has a vision for you as a son and as a daughter. He wants to take away any sense of being burnt out, which is ashes, right? If you're burnt out, you're a pile of ashes. He wants to give you beauty for ashes. He wants to give you the oil of joy for mourning because there is a mourning that's intrinsic to being a believer. That we live in a world that is not the way it's supposed to be. And we find ourselves rubbing against that world day by day because the world lies in the lap of the wicked one, the scripture says. But you and I are sons and daughters of light that we are the ones who are bringing transformation to this world and you and I are the saints. So we're given beauty for ashes and the oil of joy for mourning and the garment of praise for the spirit of heaviness because I know I pastored for many many years almost 40 years now and I've met so many believers who have been so discouraged by the by not focusing on what God is doing but rather focusing on what God has not yet done and so it's easy to go into depression but the Lord wants to give us the garments of praise so we can rise up and praise God in the midst of even the greatest challenges of life why? so that we might be trees of righteousness get that picture, oaks of righteousness solid, rooted and grounded in love that we might demonstrate you know, this incredible gospel in our lives that even in the midst of things not always working out the way we believe they ought to we still hold fast to his beauty, to his goodness to his greatness and we still boldly proclaim as trees of righteousness the planting of the Lord so that he would receive the glory out of our lives I just look at you guys I know that you guys are good builders Andrew and Carol you know and I just sense the quality of each of the people in this church I sense it and I just see this incredible quality in you the planting of the Lord that he would be glorified I mean what a beautiful congregation you are you know, it's like I, I feel like all kinds of, of the, the best kind of jealousy sit, standing here. I mean, look at the heaven is represented here in such a beautiful way. So we're after souls, we're after saints, but we're also after spheres. Because once the saints come into that place of grace, once the Holy Spirit has come upon us to reach those souls and turn them into saints and then to take those saints and give them beauty for ashes and the oil of joy for mourning to make them the planting of the Lord, then ultimately we can release them back to do the work of transformation in the spheres. Look what it says here. It says, and they, who are they talking about? Who is he talking about? They are the saints, the children of Zion. He's saying they shall rebuild the old ruins. It says here that they shall raise up the former desolations. That they shall repair ruined cities and the desolations of many generations. We have a work generation. I know the Lord has, I just sense that the Lord has many of you who he's placed in very significant places of influence. 
And it's not by accident. It's not just your job. It's your kingdom calling. Do you realize that every single one of us who's a follower of Jesus is called to full-time ministry? Every one of us. 24 hours a day. 365 days a week, we are called to ministry. I might take a vacation from work, but I'm not going to take a vacation from Jesus. You guys understand that? So I am full on. But here's the deal. is only about 2% will ever make their money standing behind a pulpit. And that's by God's design. It's not by accident. God doesn't want to drop a, a huge you know, pile of trillions of dollars on us so we can all be fully supported by the church. Because that would ruin this passage. He places us intentionally in the different spheres of society, in education, in medicine, in government, in economics, in in, uh, business. He places us in the field of employment that we're in as full-time ministers so that we can restore and we can rebuild and we can reestablish righteousness, goodness, and grace in every sphere of society. Amen. So the Spirit of the Lord is upon us for three things. It's for souls to rescue people from darkness and to bring them into the light. It's for saints to build up the body of Christ and strengthen each other to a place where we can be mighty in God. And then finally it's for spheres that we can bring heaven to earth in ways that actually rid the world of disease and rid the world of corruption and rid the world of every single evil so that ultimately Jesus would be glorified in his church, the scripture says. Unto him be glory in the church, both now and forevermore. Amen. This is who we are. This is who he is. And this is why he's chosen to partner with us. So I bless you in the name of Jesus. And again, you have to know how much I admire what you guys are carrying and what you're doing. But as we wrap up, I just want to allow an opportunity. First of all, for souls. You know, if you're here today and you've never really made this decision to follow Jesus, I'll tell you something. This is the most important day of your life. And you're not here by accident. You're here because God Himself has been drawing you. Jesus said that. He said, no man can come to me except my Father draw him. So even the encounter to be here today is by God's intention. And here you are today and you're saying, what about me? And what I'm saying to you is you can be forgiven. Whatever you've done wrong in your life can be washed away by a simple act of faith. By believing that Jesus came to this world for you. He had you in mind when He was crucified on the cross. When He cried out and said, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? The pain that He felt at that moment was a pain that's designed to release you into salvation. That through your faith, there's an exchange that takes place where your guilt was laid upon Him and His righteousness can now be laid upon you. And you can step into this everlasting life. You can receive the Holy Spirit as we've been talking about Him. And He will actually come inside of you and make you a new creature in Christ. And you can be born again. You can say, you can forget about the past and begin a new life. You can turn over a new leaf at a level that you never imagined before. And if you're here today and you want 
that new life. You want that forgiveness from Jesus. You want to begin anew. You want to be part of the solution, no longer part of the problem. You can take that choice today. So if all of us would just close our eyes before the Lord and just be praying right now. If you're here today and you want to be part of that solution, part of the army of God that's bringing blessing to this world, if you want to be forgiven of that which you've done in the past and begin again, I'd like you to just put up your hand, just, just slip it up high.